I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. And this month we're coming to you live from the 2015 Matthew Shepard Foundation Honors Gala happening in the Sewell Grand Ballroom in beautiful downtown Denver, Colorado. Now this event always has very mixed emotions for me as it typically falls on the same weekend each year when Matthew Shepard was murdered in a most brutal hate crime back in 1998. But now, 17 years later, it's become a time to celebrate his legacy and all that has changed in the world. Shortly after Matt passed away, his parents, Judy and Dennis Shepard, created the Matthew Shepard Foundation. And one of the things the foundation does today is to recognize others who are making a difference by combating hate. Tonight, you'll meet the Maines family and hear about their journey supporting their transgender daughter in the face of challenges no family would ever want to deal with. And then the amazing Nathan Lane is here. He's an accomplished, award-winning actor who's out and proud as a role model for our community. It's going to be an exciting night, and I'm glad you're here with us. I'll be back with more right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, October 25th, 2015. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Orange County's government is ending domestic partner benefits for unmarried same-sex couples now that gay marriage is legal. County commissioners last Tuesday repealed the Domestic Partner Benefits Program for Orange County employees who are in unmarried same-sex relationships. The repeal takes effect at the start of next year. Eleven county employees use the program, and they will continue to have medical coverage until the end of the year. Officials say the gay civil rights group Equality Florida say Orange County should expand its domestic partner program to unmarried heterosexual couples rather than to repeal it for unmarried same-sex couples. They say Orange County, home to Orlando, will be at a competitive disadvantage compared to other counties. And the state of Utah has agreed to pay more than $24,000 to cover legal fees for a married lesbian couple who sued after the state denied them a birth certificate with both mothers' names for their newborn baby. Court documents filed Friday show the Utah Attorney General wants to close the case three months after a judge ruled against the state. The court said... The couple must be treated the same as a heterosexual couple conceiving through assisted reproduction. The ruling was the first of its kind since the U.S. Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. Angie and Kami Rowe of West Jordan said state officials told them that one mother must adopt the baby as a step-parent, a process they said is costly, invasive, and unfair. And here locally, there's hardly a cartoonist alive who hasn't taken at least some influence from Charles Schultz. His legendary Peanuts comic strip has entertained audiences across the globe, and its 50-year run has inspired countless writers and artists to create their own comics. One such person is Paige Product, current creative director of Charles M. Schultz's Creative Associates and writer of the Emmy Award-nominated webcomic Jane's World, the first gay-themed comic to be widely distributed. Braddock worked for Schultz for years before his death in 2000. Today she works in the Peanuts studio reviewing all licensed products that contain Peanuts artwork in conjunction with a licensing firm from New York. She looks over everything from toys to t-shirts, making sure they are appropriate and fit the voices of Schultz's timeless characters. From time to time, she will also contribute illustrations to a book featuring Peanuts artwork. On top of this original work that includes the all-ages graphic novel Stinky Cecil released in February. Since 2012, Braddock has also helped produce a new ongoing comic book series starring Charlie Brown and the gang, working with a team of writers and artists to produce new adventures for the characters every month. She also has collaborated with fellow author and illustrator Vicki Scott on a series of Peanuts graphic novels, the most recent being The Beagle Has Landed, Charlie Brown, released in June of 2014. When Schultz died in 2000, he made sure that the comic strip would go with him. He requested in his will that no one continue the Peanuts strip. Schultz also requested that the characters stay true to the way they were originally written, something that Braddock said she takes very seriously in her job as a creative director. The ongoing comic published by Kaboom Studios, which is also responsible for the revival of classic King Comics characters such as Flash Gordon and The Phantom. Once a month, a team of writers and artists meet to pitch and evaluate story ideas for upcoming issues before splitting up the work on their individual projects. Braddock wanted to get a job in cartooning since she began reading the Sunday comics at 7 and has a long and distinguished career in her own right. 
Her most famous work is Jane's World, about the everyday life of a lesbian woman. It was first conceived in 1991 when Braddock was working for the Chicago Tribune. It was meant for a special edition of the Tribune, dealing with news for women, but when the deal fell through, Braddock made it into a standalone comic instead. While Braddock is one of the most notable LGBT cartoonists in the country, she said she doesn't know if her sexuality has much impact on her work. With a new comic book series and upcoming graphic novel and the Peanuts movie set to premiere November 6th, Schultz's motley crew continue to entertain, and Braddock will be there to make sure they remain true to the vision created by their one-time mentor and friend. A special oversized issue of the comic was released in February, celebrating two years in print and 65 years of the seminal franchise. Now here's your calendar events for the coming week. On Monday, October 26th at 5.30 p.m., the Marin AIDS Project will host their monthly Mix It Up at the Four Point Sheridan, 1010 Northgate Drive in San Rafael. And on Thursday, October 29th at 1.30 p.m., the Santa Rosa Senior Group will meet at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation at the Glacier Center in Santa Rosa. And a save the date for you, Outwatch, Wine Country's LGBTQI Film Festival, will happen at the Sebastopol Center for the Arts on November 6th through the 8th. There'll be eight films screened this year, with some filmmakers in attendance. There will also be three parties. You can learn more and get tickets right now at outwatchfilmfest.org. For more information about LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And for the latest LGBT news headlines, go to our website at OutBeatNews.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for updates from OutBeat Radio News all week long. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. OutBeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. It's a beautiful weekend here in Denver, Colorado, as the 2015 Matthew Shepard Foundation Honors event gets underway. And I'm here in the VIP reception with folks dressed in tuxedos and evening gowns. And with me now is the Associate Director of Communications for the Matthew Shepard Foundation, Sean McEntee. Sean, how are you tonight? Good, how are you? It's a great night. So many people here and a lot of excitement in the air. I can, I can feel it. I want to talk with you about the response that the Matthew Shepard Foundation got from the Facebook post that you that you put up on October 7th, sort of marking the, the time back in 1998 when, when Matthew was abducted and beaten. Tell me about the response that you got. We usually do an anniversary post every year, and this year we sent it out on that Tuesday morning, just kind of a quick, you know, we remember Matt, we remember why we do this work, and thank you for your support. And then... You know, immediately it, it got the traction it usually gets, but then by the end of the day, it had reached more than 3 million people. And then over the next couple of days, we got to about 5.5 million people and all these people commenting on it and sharing their own stories and reflecting on mats. And it really showed that in 17 years, this really has not gone away and nobody has forgotten this part of our history. 5 million hits. I mean, that's not, that's not typical. That doesn't happen every year, does it? No, actually, it was like 4,000% above last year's numbers. So it's just been, if you look at the year we've had with the documentary coming out and the hate crimes training we've been doing and real, uh, Judy and Dennis Shepard really being out in the spotlight, doing all this work and our programs being visible everywhere, I think a lot of people got reminded of his story and really took with it this year pretty extraordinary because it was 17 years ago and I know you know many other stories like this one albeit this one's pretty unique um, people move on at some point and it doesn't seem like the world is letting go of this story which is really incredible and it just really underlines the importance of Matt's story do you have a sense of where these hits where these likes came from are they all over the world no yeah I mean they're primarily in our demographic here in the country but with that many people with, with who it's reaching, it's been everywhere. In the same way that Matt's story went all over the world back in 98, 17 years later, it's not that different. And the reason is, you know, Matt's story kick-started a lot of conversations in this country, and unfortunately those conversations have not stopped. And what happened to Matt has not stopped happening to other people. So it's that beginning moment that keeps bringing people back and reminding them of why we need to do what we're doing. Incredible. So just give me a sense of what this night means to you. Yeah, this night is about staying forward, not being complacent, and cel- like celebrating while also reflecting on the stuff we have left to do and not letting ourselves get numb 
by the progress we've had and reminding ourselves that there's still a lot of people who are not living safely yet. So we have the privilege of being in this room and dedicating ourselves to working toward making a better world for these people. Outstanding. Sean, it's always great to talk with you. Have a fantastic evening tonight. Greg, thanks for having me. Okay, and now I'm here with Joshua Anderson, who is the new Director of Development for the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Joshua, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. This is a really exciting night. We're here in the, in the dining room area. It, it's absolutely packed. Uh, how many people are here tonight? Uh, we have well over 500 people with uh, our volunteer and crew here tonight. Extraordinary. And, and I remember this is a much larger crowd than was here last year. Uh, why the new interest? I think there's various reasons. Um, we certainly have new volunteers involved, um, new staff members, um, just an invigorated interest in the work of the foundation, um, along with the fact you know, that we have our wonderful honorees tonight, Mr. Nathan Lane, uh, Jennifer and Jeff Kustock of Hamburger Mary's, which is a well-established local restaurant. Um, celebrating over 10 years, and then, of course, the whole Maines family, Nicole, Jonas, Kelly, and Wayne. Yes, and, and that's going to be an amazing speech, I'm sure. So let's talk about life as a nonprofit after the mayor's decision. I've heard from a number of other nonprofit organizations that there's some apathy that's built up in the community and this sense that now that we have marriage, we don't need to be as active, and, and they're struggling, frankly, uh, to get donations. What's your experience been from the foundation? Well, I think since I walked in the door at the foundation, what I've really recognized about the work here is the ongoing relevance of the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Um, as, you, as we celebrate the uh, upcoming 17th anniversary of the incidents surrounding Matthew's death, we are continually reminded of the ongoing work that still needs to occur. We have um, reached marriage equality. However, I don't, I think that comes with a lot of um, issues still on the table. In many states in this union, you can get married over the weekend and come to work and get fired because you happen to be um, LGBT. And for that very reason, I think we're going to see an uptick in a a lot of the continual discrimination that is occurring. Hate crimes trainings, hate crimes work is a mainstay of the foundation. And for that reason, I think we can continually go and say to our supporters, there is work that needs to occur. There, There is evidence that these issues are still out there and are occurring in parts of our country at rampant rates even though marriage um, has been approved by the Supreme Court of the United States. Well, I think that's a really good point. I mean, we covered just uh, this month on the Outbeat News segment a story about a young man who was beaten at Penn State because he was gay. And there have been several others I've noticed in the news, uh, assaults simply because a person is gay. And, And you bring up a really good point. Marriage has not solved all of those other social problems. No, in fact, it's probably opened up as many can of, cans of worms as it's, as it's resolved. I mean, certainly in urban areas in the northern part of our country, um, there's a lot of support for the LGBT community. However, you know, a lot of our target areas in the south where there is zero reporting or underreporting of hate crimes, that's where we're going to have to focus our attention because... Um, hatred is is still out there. I mean, we, we see it in the paper every day with the incidents, um, not solely just around the LGBT community, but based on religion and race as well. Absolutely. So for those people who are not here tonight and able to make a donation in person, where can they go to make a contribution to the Matthew Shepard Foundation? Well, I, I would encourage them to go to MatthewShepard.org. And if they would like to make a donation, they can certainly go to our Donate Now page. Um, Additionally, if they're not familiar with Matthew's Place and they're a youth and they just want to get a better sense of um, the blogging sites that we have for youth, um, we'd encourage them. There is a link on MatthewShepard.org to visit Matthew's Place. Um, So I I would encourage them to look at both sites, but in particular to to donate um, and or purchase um, um, product 
from Matthew's place, excuse me, from matthewshepherd.org. Fantastic. And if you miss those websites, we will have them on our own website at outbeatnews.com. Great. If I could make one quick comment, Greg. You bet. It's just that if folks are out there and they have recently been married and they're interested, interested in another way to give back, we have means on our website in which they can celebrate their upcoming anniversary, upcoming birthday, or their impending nuptials by registering their marriage and benefiting the Matthew Shepard Foundation. So just another thought and idea for your listeners. I love that. What a great way to avoid getting too many toasters. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Greg. And thank you, Josh, for all the work that you're doing. We're going to move into the ballroom now for dinner, and we'll be back with the program with our first speaker, Judy Shepard. Now, please join us in welcoming to the stage president and co-founder of the Matthew Shepard Foundation, Judy Shepard. Thanks. Oh, please. Please sit. Um, gosh, it's really purple in here tonight, isn't it? Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us for dinner and for you first-timers. Thank you for coming. We hope we see you again and again and again. And for those of you who are so continuously supportive of our work, my thank you. I'm, you're so brave to keep coming. We love you. Please keep coming. Um, we are... You know, so honored tonight to have such wonderful guests joining us, the Maines family. May I please hear again our appreciation for the work they've done. And I, I know it's not been easy for them, but I think you'll hear a common thread about what we're talking tonight about living your authentic life and how truly, truly hard it was for the Maines family to do that, for Nicole and Jonas and Wayne and Kelly to not live together as a family, to not have that privilege, that opportunity, and that sense of feeling of uh, safety and community that the rest of us take for granted in our lives. Uh, it's, uh, it's unconscionable that they had to live their lives like that to allow Nicole to be who she really was and to give them all the props for allowing her to be who she really was. It's not easy for many families to acknowledge that or accept it. But the idea that you have to be um, secretive or, uh, or hide away because who you are may not fall into line with what somebody else thinks about what you should be, that is, uh, that is not the American way in my way of thinking. And as Jason was so proudly talking about getting married and then hearing from folks who then go to work and get fired because they got married because they live in a state like, oh, Wyoming, um, is also unconscionable, something that should never happen. Not the American dream, not ever, to be denied housing accommodations, uh, public accommodations in a restaurant or a theater or a store or, uh, oh gosh, the county clerk's office. Um, <laughs> I think in this room, and I hope we all understand what work is left to be done, but I just want to remind you that the average person on the street does not know that you can still be fired from your job, that you can still be denied credit or uh, a lease or lending or a mortgage or a public accommodation in so many states. I think it's 31 now. No hate crime laws still in Wyoming, uh, Indiana, Arkansas, Georgia. It's, uh, it's unthinkable that we are still trying to tread water, trying to figure out where we belong, who we belong with, why not everybody's accepting us for who we are, because isn't that what life is supposed to be about? Feeling safe and secure in every aspect of our life, and still there are those who want to hold us down. We are winning, and we will continue to do that, but only if the rest of you and the folks out there in this world continue to lead their authentic lives um, because storytelling is how we change the world. 
Nicole's story, Jonas's story, Wayne and Kelly's story. In a minute, we'll hear Mr. Lane's story. Nathan, if I may. Um, his amazing, brilliant, funny story of his life and his, uh, and his uh, uh, career. I will share the career part. Um, but it's, it's being who you are that changes everybody else's mind. When the person that you sit next to at work suddenly finds out that you are a lesbian, but they've loved and admired you personally and professionally, all that time they've worked with you, but they didn't know who you were, and now they do, is gonna absolutely change the perspective of the gay community as a whole. That's how that works. That's how that works. When, uh, when Matt told my mother that he was gay, she, she was fine with it. You have to understand my mother a little bit. She's a product of a very different age. She's, she was a bigot. Let's just get right down to it. She was a bigot, and I was a little concerned. My mother was maybe the only one I was really worried about that may not accept Matt for who he was, but she and Matt had this special connection, and when he told her, she was, she was fine with it. And then a little later, I was having a conversation with her, and she said, I don't really understand what all the hubbub is about. You are who you are, and why does anybody else care? And I was like, Mom, that's great, that's great. <laughs> and then I said, Mom, could Matt bring his boyfriend over to meet you? No. <laughs> no, I love Matt because it's Matt, but the rest, maybe not so much. Well, he didn't really have enough time to carry through with the rest of his story or his life, but I'm sure he would have been able to change your mind about all of it, because that's how that works. So you may be asking, how did I grow up in a family with a mother who's so strongly bigoted and, and not bring any of that with me into my adult life? I made a conscious choice. I made a conscious choice. I was not gonna go there. Now, understand, I am a product of the 60s. I'm pretty sure I was there, I kinda remember it. Um, you know, uh, many of us in this room are part of the same generation, so y'all don't go like, yeah. Anyway, um, it, was, it was a time when it was all about respecting your fellow man, your fellow American, make love, not war, um, acceptance of everyone for who they were, no judgment, no discrimination, the civil rights era, all of that was a very bright and shining light on a very dark time. And I chose to be part of what I hoped would be the shining light and not the dark. And that's been my story my whole life. I had many gay friends in college. Uh, it was not, nothing about that was new to me. I was always, you're brought up in a world where the stereotypes are all you know, the negative words are all you hear. You never see anything positive depicted in mainstream media. Well, that's, that was a different time. But I made a conscious decision then to not go down the path my mom did. My mom went down that path because her mother did, and, and her father, and so on and so on. This is, this is a generational uh, disease, and you can make the choice to leave that environment, to not be a part of that, and to not teach it to your children, or your grandchildren, or your neighbors, or participate in it in any way. It's a conscious choice. And to express that decision in how you live your life as an authentic member of the LGBTQIA community. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. But also how you choose to live your life as an ally of the LGBTQIA community is brilliant. Because you may not understand how as allies, you have so much power. Your voice and your support carry so much weight in where you work, in your neighborhood, in your church, just in general in your community, within the own members of your family. Please, please share your stories of support and compassion and the desire to make things right within the gay community, politically and socially. Now, in case you missed it, there is an election coming up and we need to be hyper-vigilant that we maintain this progress. 
So please, please be educated voters. And at the very least, be voters, please. <laughs> we, uh, we cannot afford voter apathy in this, in this movement in particular. I don't want to see any steps going the wrong direction. And if we're not careful, that may happen. So please, let's be hypervigilant. Let's participate in the system, as ugly as it is. We have to participate to make it better. So um, there was a saying, actually from, from uh, Bismarck in Germany, the two things you never want to watch are sausage being made <laughs> and the passage of legislation. <laughs> and having seen both, I can totally agree. Now this is, a, this is a really hard time of the year for us as a family, and we, we have this little party um, of 450 people. Uh, and thank you all for helping us kind of be here tonight to celebrate Matt's life and his legacy. Thank you very, very much. At this time, please help me welcome to the stage parents of our next honorees, Kelly and Wayne Maines. Thank you. Uh, it's a great honor to be here, and even more so to join our children as they accept this award. You know, my family's been on this amazing journey with many bumps. But being here with you tonight, meeting so many special people that are doing great things to support equality, I cannot thank you enough. We wouldn't have these opportunities if it wasn't for my wife, Kelly. She never doubted who Nicole was. She worked so hard to make our kids be safe. My tears are because in their early years, she did this work alone. So many fathers and so many men aren't on board. We love our children, but we, we let our fears hold us back. I had to learn about equality from my children, my wife. I had to conquer my own fears. Kelly did not. She's strong. She's focused. She's wise, and she's shaped Jonas and Nicole in so many ways that I could not. It's my pleasure and my honor to introduce you to my beautiful wife, Kelly Maines. Thank you. talking about. <laughs> I'm not very good at this, so I'll do my best. I'm sorry. At an early age, Jonas and Nicole learned what bullying, harassment, and discrimination do to a family. They learned that adults fear the unknown, but they also learned that love is stronger than fear, and that they have family support and a safe place to come home to when the world is throwing stones. Through the hardest times, they have always supported each other. We are so proud of both of them. And now, now they're old enough to tell their own stories, to stand here tonight with all of you, feeling the love, because this is awesome. We hope, we hope they will reach for their dreams, and we hope that every LGBT child will reach their dreams as well. It's my honor, truly my honor, to introduce my children in Wayne's, Jonas and Nicole Maines.
Thank you. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank everyone for this amazing uh, honor and opportunity. It's a, it's a gift to be here. I'm going to try and keep this brief. I'm not the public speaky guy. That's them over there. Um, most of the time, I block out the past. I so desperately want to want our story to quietly go away and uh, never not bug me anymore. It, it's to forget the pain and the hard times that resulted from it. Uh, going to college, I tried to move away from it, and uh, I wanted to not remember that part of what happened because it was just too, it was so painful for me. Um, reading the book that, that will be coming out soon, Becoming Nicole, I couldn't get past the prologue because it was just too emotional for me. It, I mean, I broke down, I threw the book across the room, I couldn't do it. And I'm in a production at my college, uh, the Laramie Project, actually. We're doing it, yeah. And I was, I was so excited to be part of a, of a production that, that would educate people about this, this movement that is gaining so much ground and means so much to so many people. And I was so excited to be able to use my own experiences to fuel that and to make, you know, to make a difference. So you can imagine my shock and my surprise and a couple other feelings when I was cast as Aaron McKinney. And I didn't know what to do. Um, during rehearsal, um, we were practicing a scene where uh, Aaron McKinney is giving his confession. And I broke down. I couldn't do it. Um, it, it just stayed with me the, the next couple of days. And it was, it was too much for me because I was, I was betraying the kind of person that threatened my family and my sister when I was a kid. And that just, it was too much for me. And I, I couldn't do it. And even, even now, even today, I'll, I'll look in the, in, in the newspaper or, or, or the television and I'll see these terrible events that are happening all over the world. And it, it makes it so hard for me to believe that any good can come out of anything. But that's not true. And a very, very admirable and strong man once said um, that good is coming out of evil. And people have said enough is enough. I'm given confidence by all of the people in or out of this room who continue to stand up against injustices and tragedy and live as examples of compassion and kindness and hope that they can be found in others. My family story is coming close to an end, um, but there are families across the nation that are still suffering and need the same help and guidance that we were given. And I want to thank Dennis and Judy Shepard for being that guidance to so many people and for continuing to keep Matthew's story alive. It cannot be easy to do so, and I admire you for having the strength to continue to relive that story every day to help others. I'd clap, but my hands are full. <laughs> I learned at a young age to always stand up for what's right and to fight for what you believe in. It wasn't easy, but standing here looking at all of you and knowing how far we've come as a community across the world, I know that the fight was and always will be worth it. Now uh, it's time for me to introduce someone a little more relevant and probably with much more interesting things to say than myself. Her trials and her life have become symbols of perseverance and of the strength of family. Please join me uh, in welcoming my incredible sister, Nicole Maines. I never really hear Jonas speak, so that was really like, I was standing over there, I was like, oh my God. He was awesome, right? 
So when I was younger, words like equality, freedom of speech, and acceptance were just words. And as I watched people lash out, showing their fears and displaying truly unacceptable behavior, I learned that they're more than just words. They are lifelike. They are life-saving. I can't read a teleprompter. Can y'all notice? <laughs> they are life-saving and character-building principles that people have fought and died for. I don't want anyone else to have to suffer or die because they are perceived as being too different for society. Violence and suicide are far too common. Every day, we lose another transgender friend. A state of emergency was called in our community because of the outrageous acts of hate that we continue to witness every year. Fortunately, I've been lucky enough to have a family that loves, supports, and protects me no matter what. I love you, Mom. She never doubted who I was. My father taught me to use my voice to promote change, and they're both my heroes. Right? They're pretty spanking. My strongest supporter, though, as you may have noticed, is probably my brother. As much of a pain as he can be, it's true, it's impossible to say how much he's helped me reach this point in my life. We're identical twins. Actually, we were on a plane coming here, and someone said, oh, are you twins, fraternal? Oh, that's so cute. And he looked at me, and, we were like, and he was like, hey, Nicole, we just broke science. I was like, yeah. yeah, we did. And everyone thought we were perfect copies. And I mean, we're almost perfect copies. I'm prettier, but that's not important. Don't worry about it. Just know it's true and move on. I've always known I was a girl, though. And somehow, so did he. I've never been shy about telling the world who I am. And when I was 11 years old, people who feared the unknown targeted my family. I was just a kid. And at that young age, I learned just how hateful and unfair the world can be. My family had to move, leaving my father behind so he could work and support our family. Since 2009, we've only seen him on weekends. But as you can see, we're no longer living in hiding because the world is changing for the better. And every day, more transgender children can be out and proud in their schools and communities. But if we've learned anything, it's that there is still work to be done. Absolutely. The Matthew Shepard Foundation is leading the way I don't know if you've noticed. And on behalf of my family, I want to thank Judy and Dennis Shepard for their hard work and also take this opportunity to acknowledge the struggles that transgender people face, but also the progress that we've all made together in this community. Thanks, y'all. Wow, aren't they just amazing young people? Well, the family has a new book out about their journey, and it's called Becoming Nicole. I had a chance to preview it, and I can tell you it's truly inspirational. So much courage, so much love. We'll put some information about the book on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News in Depth on KRCB Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia, and I'm here at the 2015 Matthew Shepard Foundation Honors Event in Denver, Colorado. Here's Judy Shepard. And now it is my great honor and pleasure to introduce a, somebody that I have admired for a long, long time, long time. Um, I was at an event in New Jersey a few years ago, and Cynthia Nixon read from her phone. So I thought if Cynthia Nixon can do it, I can do it. Uh, I, I have just a couple things I don't want to get wrong, so I'm going to read it from my phone. This is about uh, our, our uh, Making a Difference Award winner tonight, Mr. Nathan Lane. Um, he, uh, he's... He's, a, he's been a wonderful guest. He's been friendly and patient and kind and gentle to all of us in this room. And, uh, and I want to give him due credit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read professional credits. And then we're going to get a, just a little bit more personal. Just, just a little bit. Um, career highlights of this wonderful, wonderfully talented man. He won two Tony Awards for Best Actor in a Musical, The Producers. And a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. He has a star on the Hollywood, uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2006, inducted into the Theater Hall of Fame in 2008, six Drama Desk Awards, 
SAG Award for the Birdcage. Um, called our greatest comic stage star by the New York Times, second Tony for his role in the producer's Max something. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how to say it, I'm sorry. Uh, and he reprised the same role in the film version was nominated for a Golden Globe. He's been in many, many notable productions, probably the one that, well, the one that remains in my heart is Birdcage for so many reasons. Um, but I, in continuing with the theme tonight of everyone's remarks, the thing about Nathan that touches us personally and us as a community is Nathan's decision to live his life authentically in public. <laughs> Having been uh, out in a personal life but not in a public way is is the way so many of us, even as allies, have started this uh, journey. And when he made the decision to be authentic in a public way, it was a huge step in that time, uh, not nearly as accepting as it is right now. But it created a, he created a role model for young people to see that, yes, you can be gay and still be a wonderful success in your chosen profession, to not give up on your dreams no matter what they are, because good things wait out there for you if you are your true self. Now, it's, it's harder then, and it's gotten a little easier now, a little bit, sort of depending on where you live and, and maybe even what your dreams are. But it has gotten better, and it's gotten better because of folks like Nathan Lane and folks like you who live your lives authentically and in public and always. I know the process is an everyday thing. I hear it all the time. I don't have to just do it once. I have to do it every day in every situation. And it's because of people like Nathan telling their stories to the rest of the country when they realize how much they've admired and loved this man in his professional career and admired him in his personal life that being out has given them a whole different depiction of what being gay is like. And I would like you to help me welcome him to the stage. Thank you. Well, this has been an extraordinary night, I, I have to say. Um, and uh, I, uh, this, what a beautiful award. I hope uh, I, I got one dove. I hope one day to win the one with nine doves. <laughs> you gotta do something really special for that one. I'm nothing if not competitive. Uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I don't even, it's hard to even start this speech that I wrote a while ago <laughs> after experiencing what tonight was like. And I want to thank Courtney Love for hosting the live auction, by the way. <laughs> I thought she did a hell of a job. <laughs> it's not an easy job asking for money. <laughs> And God bless her, she did it. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, truly humbling to be here among the many real heroes making a difference by doing the hard work of this foundation on a daily basis. Quite honestly, I, I don't feel worthy of such an honor, but I am happy and thankful to be of service to such a great and important organization. So think of me tonight as a shiny, brightly feathered fisherman's lure for humanitarian efforts. Uh, by the way, uh, forgive my hat. Um, I, my, my, head, my head has been shaved for a roll, as they say. 
and now all I ever hear is, wow, Bruce Willis has really let himself go. <laughs> it was hard to have my head shaved because my hair was the one thing that made me feel young that I didn't have to take in pill form. <laughs> I was 21. Now I've told, I, 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 let, me, let me just preface this. I, I told, I've told this story many times but I've never given the, the backstory, which you might find interesting. I was 21 when I told my mother I was gay. My mother, Nora Lane, was a small Irish Catholic woman who had struggled to raise three children on her own while working as a secretary in the prosecutor's office in Jersey City, New Jersey. My father had died of alcoholism when I was 11, and my maternal grandmother, who had helped to raise me and to whom my mother and I were extremely close, had died the year before. These two deaths seemingly led to my mother having what was described at the time as a nervous breakdown. A year later, as an overactive thyroid, and finally what was then known as manic depression and subsequently upgraded to bipolar disorder. I lived through all of this with her during my high school years. My two older brothers eventually married and moved out, but I was there every day. I watched her go through years of depression, paranoia, suicidal tendencies, manic shopping sprees, and belligerent behavior followed by intermittent stays in mental hospitals. It was extremely painful and difficult. I had to grow up very quickly. And it's no wonder I developed a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> Eventually, and thankfully, my mother was properly diagnosed and was put on a medication that allowed her to return to what we amusingly refer to as normalcy whatever the hell that may be. I had decided not to go to college and instead started pursuing a career in acting. By the time I reached 21, I was preparing to move to Manhattan, not just because of show business, but also because I had become involved in my first relationship. I was a late bloomer. I had told my mother I was seeing someone in New York, but not wanting to upset her, I led her to believe it was a woman. Finally, the night before I was about to move out, I had decided to tell her the truth. We had been through an awful lot together, and I had never lied to her before, and it troubled me. So I nervously sat her down and explained that although I had said I was dating a girl, I was actually dating a guy. Did I mention she was a conservative woman? <laughs> a lifelong Democrat, but very conservative. Anyway, when I said I was dating a guy, the blood drained from her face, and she said to me, you mean you're a homosexual? <laughs> like she was referring to some terminal condition. And I replied sadly, I guess so. Now here's the tricky part, really. Think about all this poor little woman had been through. It certainly crossed my mind. You may not see it at first. You might be upset by this. Maybe you're not Irish Catholic. But, but with great regret, she said to me, I would rather you were dead. <laughs> to which I replied, I knew you'd understand. And once I got her head out of the oven, she was fine. <laughs> Smash cut to 17 years later. I was receiving a Sardi's caricature, a rite of passage for many Broadway actors. There was a little ceremony held at Sardi's restaurant, and there were a few relatives and friends in attendance. At the time, I was dating a very handsome modern dancer. Those were the days. <laughs> I introduced him to my mother for the first time at this event. She was very sweet to him, and as he walked away to get her a drink, she turned to me and said quietly in a meaningful tone I'd never heard from her before, he's good. <laughs> so believe me, things can change. Look, um, I'm not a role model or a political activist. It's hard for me to accept the notion that I've made a difference. The Making a Difference Award for just being me, but then that's the issue, isn't it? it? To just be you, whoever that may be. It's about the simple dignity of being yourself.
without fear or persecution because of it. What really makes a difference? Speaking up, being brave, taking a stand against the bullies and the bigots. You know, like Donald Trump. <laughs> Don't you just love Donald Trump? Even Vladimir Putin is saying, man, that guy is nuts. <laughs> Although honestly, it is refreshing to have a candidate who just says whatever the little voices in his head tell him to say. He's like a breath of fresh cologne. <laughs> and I love that little red hat he's always wearing, although technically he's wearing two red hats. <laughs> on the outside it says, Make America Great, and on the inside it says, Made in China. <laughs> I will say this for Donald Trump, he is the leading importer of foreign wives. Where was I? <laughs> Where was I? That's known as the Donald Trump chunk. Yes, where was I? Oh yes, Ma making a difference. Making a difference. Yeah, I don't know about that. Sometimes in my work, I feel I might have made a difference. In the plays of Terence McNally and John Robin Bates and a film like The Birdcage or a new play like The Nance by Douglas Carter Bean or more recently in a revival of The Iceman Cometh, I feel I have touched people, I've reached them, either with comedy or drama, and perhaps made a small difference. I remember that one of the things that made a difference in my life was the news of the tragic death of Matthew Shepard, a young man I didn't know. I was deeply saddened and enraged and disgusted. And even though I had been out since I was 21, my mother had told my entire family, and I had told everyone else. But a few movies had suddenly made me what they call a public figure, at least more public than I had been, and just as suddenly, total strangers were asking me about my personal life. Watch Tom Hardy's reaction at a recent press junket on YouTube and you'll get the idea, only I'm much crankier. Anyway, it all made me extremely uncomfortable, and if you're gay, once you say you don't want to discuss your personal life, you might as well say, oh, and by the way, I love cock. <laughs> Please pass that information on to Matt Damon. Instead, instead, <laughs> It's hard to retain your mystique at a certain point. Instead, I made a joke, which is what I usually tend to do. When asked if I was gay, I told that bastion of journalistic integrity, Us Magazine, I'm 40, single, and work a lot in the musical theater. You do the math. I thought that was a good answer. It told them, exactly what they wanted to know, and it was done in a humorous way without drama or fanfare. This was not exactly a scoop. Not long after, I saw on the news what had happened to Matthew Shepard. I saw his picture, I saw his parents, and I could not begin to fathom their grief. It was an incredibly sobering moment. And then I remembered what the great Harvey Milk had said, coming out is the most political thing you can do. I'd already come out on a personal level, why not come out publicly now that I was a so-called public figure if it might be meaningful to others in the struggle. So I did, and I'm glad I did. Many journalists yawned and said, who cares, we already knew. One of the first lessons I learned about being a public figure was to ignore what people write about you. But as I said, I don't feel I deserve this, especially after witnessing what I, what I have seen tonight. But of Judy and Dennis Shepard, two real heroes, activists and humanitarians, feel I do, I'm proud to accept it. <laughs> Their work is an inspiration. And to paraphrase Jack Nicholson in As Good As It Gets, they make you want to be a better man. With that in mind, I thought I would end with the words of Harvey Milk. All young people, regardless of sexual orientation or identity, deserve a safe and supportive environment in which to achieve their full potential.
So burst down those closet doors once and for all and stand up and start to fight. You must come out. You must break down the myths, destroy the lies and distortions for your sake, for their sake. Hope will never be silent. I ask for the movement to continue, for the movement to grow, because last week I got a phone call from Altoona, Pennsylvania, and my election gave somebody else, one more person, hope. And after all, that's what this is all about. It's not about personal gain, not about ego, not about power. It's about giving those young people out there in the Altoona, Pennsylvanias, hope. You gotta give them hope. So, thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart. This means the world to me. You have given me hope. And I'll see you all at Hamburger Mary's on the 16th. I'm here with Brent Cox, who is the Policy and Programs Director for the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Brent, how are you? I'm doing well. This is a wonderful uh, event. It, it is, once again. And you've been involved in some really exciting things this year with the Matthew Shepard Foundation, leading a brand new hate crimes education training program for law enforcement. Tell us about it. Okay, well, it's a program that was really started to better understand why the data collection uh, by law enforcement that ends up making up the Uniform Crime Report from the FBI each year doesn't really match what communities are reporting. So you might have a city that reports one hate crime, but a community could tell you that there are at least 10. So this program not only uh, seeks to uh, gather more accurate data, but understand why that data is so inaccurate from law enforcement. Well, and that's really important because reporting isn't required by law enforcement around the country. I mean, here in California, law enforcement officers are trained and, and they have to report, but that's not the case in, in every state. So, I, for example, I heard in the city of Houston, you know, a huge city in Texas, they reported no hate crimes last year. How is that even possible? Well, as you say, it's, it's voluntary um, in most of the country. Um, so you have wonderful hate crimes laws such as the Shepherd Bird Act. But it is only a recommendation that law enforcement collect this data, give it to the states, and then the states give it to the, to the FBI. So invariably what you're going to have is, is some cities who just don't think it's worth their while or whatever the reasons may be, it's not clear now why agencies don't report. Um, but some do, some don't. But because there is no incentive to report usually, then there's no disincentive not to report, right? No penalty. You just have places such as Houston or Miami that report zero or just don't bother to report at all. Crazy. So you're going around the country with and representing the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Who are some of the other law enforcement partners that are involved in this training? Well, federal law enforcement in particular, the Department, in, the Department of Justice overall, has been very supportive because it's, it's in their interest to collect not just data but accurate data. So the DOJ... Has, 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 has partnered, not, partnered with us, we've partnered with the DOJ. So you have the FBI, for example, um, U.S. Attorney's offices. Uh, they all have an interest in, in better understanding what hate crimes are actually happening in their communities and ensuring that law enforcement understand uh, the laws, federal, state, and local, but also even just basically what a hate crime looks like in that given community. Because as you know, it's, it's not always the same. It doesn't always look the same. What happens in Mississippi, um, will in some ways differ from what happens in Los Angeles. Absolutely. And the, pro and the training started, the first one was in, right here in Sacramento, California, right? That's right. And it was a great training. And every U.S. Attorney's Office after, after that has, has looked at that training to see how it, could be, how it could be better, what worked really well, what the communities say, what law enforcement say, and so forth. And I understand the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. had a goal of doing five programs around the country. What are some of the other cities that you've been to so far? Sure. Um, so um, we, we did the one in Sacramento, did the one in Biloxi, 
Uh, we have one up, upcoming in Kansas City, then Salem, Oregon, which is interesting, of course, because of the recent shooting, and then Miami, Florida. And, and again, that one is especially interesting because there, they report zero year after year. And of course, uh, Miami is a major metropolitan city. And so what's the reception been? How has law enforcement been, local law enforcement been, in terms of receiving the training and the information? You know, they've, they've all been very receptive in that they have um, shown up and they've undergone the training. Some agencies have been more enthusiastic about it in that they've followed up, they've made contact. Um, so they're all enthusiastic, right? The communities, too, who show up, they're especially really enthusiastic. And you have to remember that the communities are the ones who are really the, the victims of hate crimes. So they show up saying, we have this problem, we don't know how to solve it, we really want to work with law enforcement. And when we look down the road at the work that the Matthew Shepard Foundation is really doing the, with this, is that we want to identify and implement those, those best practices, those best policies that are going to ensure that communities and, and law enforcement can come to the table, not just have the training, but have a kind of oversight and accountability over the years to ensure that, that training is effective. What a fantastic program and such a logical next step after, you know, advocating for the Shepherd Bird Act, now being involved in helping to provide law enforcement training. Brent Cox, thanks so much for sharing the information with us and enjoy the evening. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, it's been an extraordinary evening, fun, inspiring, and full of hope. We're at the end of our hour, and if you'd like to learn more about the Matthew Shepard Foundation and how you can get involved, go to matthewshepherd.org. And be sure to visit their youth website, matthewsplace.com. We'll be back in Studio A on the fourth Sunday of November. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week and thanks for spending this special night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond.